0: This morning, we're we are continuing our series uh, that we've uh, started in the book of Luke in bringing Jesus into focus. And this morning, my message is entitled, Bow at His Feet, and uh, um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8 uh, uh, this morning. Have you ever found yourself in a desperate situation? Uh, maybe you're in the bathroom and you look over at that roll and it's just, you know, there's only a couple squares left. Um I know during this uh, crisis that there's times of desperation. Um, you're searching for answers, you're looking for any help you can get. Well, three years ago, my wife and I went through a desperate time in our own family and our own situation. Um, um, her father, Gary, was diagnosed with stage four cancer and was placed on hospice care. And at the same time, my wife was diagnosed with a severe bulging disc in her lower back and it caused her tremendous amounts of pain. The pain was relentless, it led to sleepless nights, uh, the inability to sit down or even lie down for rest and a respite and a dependence on Tylenol and ibuprofen uh, just to take the edge off the, the excruciating pain that she was enduring. Needless to say that she was in a desperate place and I felt absolutely helpless. Uh, to assist her or to relieve her pain or provide her any comfort. We tried physical therapy. We tried injections. Uh, we were faced with the prospect of uh, back surgery. Um, and we finally found a therapy that offered some hope. It was called spinal decompression therapy. And it was expensive, and it wasn't covered by any insurance. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office with my wife who couldn't sit. She was standing at the time, and uh, she was just in so much pain, and I had watched her for several months just endure this suffering. And uh, I remember just looking at this doctor who had this therapy that um, was supposed to offer relief, and, I, and I, I, I just called out to him, and I said, Doctor, I'll give you anything. You know, I don't care what it costs, just please help my wife. You see, desperate times... Uh, Require desperate measures. And in the situation with my wife, I remember um, how desperate we were, and that desperate feeling. And that's exactly what we see as we come to our passage this morning. We see a moment of desperation in two people's lives. And so I would I know that right now we're in a scary time. There's a a virus that's out there. Um, we all know about that. We all see the effects of it. People's lives are being impacted. And it's a desperate time for many people in our world. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you find yourself this morning looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for help. Um, Certainly, the characters that we're going to look at this morning can identify with where you're at. What do we do in the midst of these overwhelming circumstances? Where do we turn when our situation becomes desperate? That's exactly what I would like to look at this morning as we turn to the book of Luke. Chapter 8, would you join me there in verse 40 this morning? We're going to read Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, "'Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me.' Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, "'Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace.'" While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except for Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother, Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Would you join me in prayer as we dive into this word of God this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our loneliness, our isolation, God, our discouragement, God, in the midst of all those things, you are present. You are there. You are here with us. In this moment, God, there's nothing that's beyond your your control. God, you have us in your hands. And I just pray that you will reach down into each one of our lives and each one of our hearts here this morning, and you will provide us exactly what we need for this moment. Exactly what we need for comfort, exactly what we need to carry on and fulfill your purposes for us here on this earth. God, give us a dose of encouragement this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 40, let's dive through this one one more time. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Return from where? Well, you have to understand the context. He had just spent some time on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And now he had returned to a town called Capernaum. Now let's let's look a little bit about what Capernaum was. It was a village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It was an important Roman outpost and the center for tax collection throughout the region. The synagogue there was built by Roman soldiers. And the centurion that Jesus had encountered earlier in Luke chapter 7 was headquartered there at the garrison. After Jesus had been rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth, he had chosen Capernaum as a second home base for his ministry. As a matter of fact, five of the 12 disciples that were called, called Capernaum home. We know that brothers Peter and Andrew, and also brothers James and John, they were all fishermen that were called by Jesus there at the lake, the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. Also, Matthew, the tax collector, was called by Jesus in that same town. He had just returned from the region of the Gerasenes where he had had, um, thrown out a demon, thrown out a host of demons from a man, freed him from his bondage, his, his slavery to those demons and had given him new life. And now he had returned to his home base. And large crowds were welcoming him home. And they were excited to see that Jesus had returned. From the Gospel of Matthew, one of the parallel passages of this story, Matthew chapter 9, we learn a little bit more about the context in which today's story takes place. Jesus gets back to Capernaum. It says that he heals a paralyzed man. He rouses the Pharisees' anger by forgiving this man's sins. And then he goes and has dinner with Matthew, the tax collector, who he had called to become one of his disciples. And he hangs out with a bunch of sinners there in the region at the house of Matthew. Jesus calls Matthew as his disciple. He declares that he has come to save sinners. And he goes on to challenge the traditions of the Pharisees and says that there's no need for his disciples to fast while the bridegroom is with them. It's against this backdrop that we, that we discover two desperate individuals today that both encounter Jesus. Join me in verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at, at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, The crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Imagine this scene. Jesus has just returned. He's performing miracles all over the region. He's become very popular, and many people had had gathered at the seashore to welcome him home. The crowds are pressing in on him. And here are two individuals that the story focuses on that are both have desperate situations in their life. Notice the contrast between these two individuals. Jairus had enjoyed 12 years of blessing with his only daughter. Comfort and joy from that relationship. Now all of that is threatened. All of it could be lost because of what has happened. To his daughter, the, the sickness that has come upon her, and here's a woman, an anonymous woman. Her name isn't even given. She's just a commoner. She's endured 12 years of misery, isolation, and despair. You got to remember this disorder, this bleeding, hemorrhaging disorder, kept her from being a part of the public worship. She was considered unclean. She was considered someone that couldn't be around the other people as worship took place. And so this led to a life of isolation. Imagine, we've only gone a few weeks being isolated from one another. Imagine going 12 years of isolation. This is what this woman's experience was. How depressing, how discouraging it was for her. Everything she had tried had failed to provide for her need. Both of these individuals were desperate. Both were willing to take risks to get the help that they needed. I want you to think about the risk that Jairus had to take. You see, by now the Pharisees were really hunting Jesus down. They were really looking for ways to accuse him, to arrest him, to get rid of him. And Jairus was a synagogue leader. He was like the elder in charge of the synagogue there in Capernaum. So you know that the Pharisees were all keeping an eye on this guy. What's he going to do with this man named Jesus? Well, he risks it all, and he says, I don't care, because the only solution I can see for my daughter is this man that I've heard about, this miraculous man named Jesus. I'm going to go search him out. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what the Pharisees might do to me. I'm going to go and seek out the help that I need. And think about this woman. For her, she probably thought, like, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. Maybe I'm just troubling this man if I get too close. I'm not important enough to bother him. I'm just an anonymous woman who's desperate for help. She had to risk going into the crowds. If she was recognized, like the crowds would speak up and say, hey, you're unclean. You shouldn't be around. You're not welcome here. She had to risk the rejection to make her way through the crowds to the feet of Jesus. Both lives were about to intersect at the feet of Jesus. Verse 44, she came up behind him, the woman came up behind Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You see, in that day, Jewish men would wear tassels on the corners and the, the edges of their garments to remember to obey the law of God. This was given back in the law in Numbers chapter 15 and in Deuteronomy chapter 22. The Pharisees took this to the extreme and dazzled the crowds with the size and the elaborate nature of their tassels. Matthew 23 verse 5, Jesus condemns them for that talks about that it's not about the tassel. It's not about the outward appearance. That's not what Jesus is concerned with. That's not what God cares about. It's not the size of your tassels. It's what is in your heart that God cares about. So why does Jesus ask the question, who touched me? Is it that Jesus has a moment where he just ceases to be God? He, He stops understanding what is happening around him? No, I don't believe that at all. I believe that Jesus knew exactly who touched him. So why does he say, who touched me? Number one, I believe it was for the woman's benefit. You see, Jesus recognized that this woman had been healed by his power, by faith. And he wanted her to go public with that faith and with that trust. It was her benefit to go public because he knew that when she confessed him as Lord, with her mouth. And when she, it would reveal the belief that was already in her heart. And because of those two things, the Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. We will be set free from our, the penalty of our sin, and we will enjoy peace with God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. No, it was for the woman's benefit that she was to give a public testimony of her faith. Number two, I believe it was to encourage Jairus in his journey. You see, Jairus was still wondering, does does Jesus have the power to heal? Does he have the power to to help my daughter? And and Jesus knew that his faith was a little bit weak. And so he wanted her to show that he did have the power and testify in front of Jairus who had come searching for hope, exactly who he was, that he was a God who could heal. And number three, I think it was a rebuke to the crowds. You see, it's one thing to hang around Jesus. It's one thing to, to want Jesus for something that he can give to you. But it's another thing to bow at the feet of Jesus, to bow your life and your heart at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so this woman testifies by coming out of the crowd and and, and acknowledging that she's the one that had reached out in faith and touched the tassel of his robe. She's the one who recognized that she was immediately healed by the power of Jesus Christ and her faith placed in who he was. And so it was a rebuke that God didn't want, Jesus didn't want the crowd to just be hanging out for, for the sake of popularity, for the sake of what Jesus could do for them or, or some of the things that he, he might provide. He want, no, he wants people's hearts. He wants people's hearts bowed before him. And this woman gave testimony to that with her life. What do we learn about Jesus We talk about bringing Jesus into focus through our study in Luke. And I think there's some things we can see about Jesus from this story. Number one, his power is our prescription. Do you realize that no matter what you're facing right now, that God has the power to deliver for you? That God has everything that you need within him and his resources, his power. What should we do? We should cry out to him for help. That's what this woman was doing. She was crying out for help. You know, I I think about my, my wife's back situation. And I remember about several weeks and months into the situation that I, as her husband, was just crying out to God. God, give me some answer that is going to provide my wife relief from her suffering. You see, God wants you to take your suffering, your misery, your isolation, your despair to Him. He wants you to go to Him, to pray to Him, to call out to Him because He loves you, because He wants to provide what you need in your hour of desperation. But it takes that crying out to Him and recognizing that His power is your prescription. Don't be looking for the government to save you. Don't be looking for all the other things that are out there to rescue you. It's Jesus that you need. When you have Jesus, You have his peace. Secondly, his presence is personal. You see, he wanted a relationship with that woman, not just to heal her of her disease. No, he wants to heal, but he wants more than just to heal you physically. He wants your heart. He wants your relationship with him. He wants to be present with you throughout your journey. He wants your heart. You know, I think about my wife when she was going through this. One thing that I, I just admired about her is she, she wrote in this journal every morning, despite her pain, she continued to read the scriptures, to search the scriptures, to, to go to God each and every day and cry out to Him. And she journaled that. And I had an opportunity to read her journal, and I just went outside and started bawling because I was amazed at my wife's faith. I was amazed at her desire to give Jesus her heart, even despite her pain. It was touching to me. And number three, his praise brings our peace. Amen? When she bowed herself at his feet in praise and adoration, and she confessed him, it's you, Jesus, I touched you, it's you that healed me. That's praise, that's worship. To reach out. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Testify. Why do I tell this story about what happened with my wife? How God brought healing into her life. The reason I tell you that story is it's important to testify about how God has worked in and through your life. Share that with others. Let them see the power of God. How it has been displayed throughout your life. It's so important. This morning, I want to wrap up our story in Luke as we look at this other character, Jairus, and what happened with him. Join me again in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and announced, your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. You see, they thought, Jesus might be able to help someone while they're still living, but if they pass away, it's beyond even Jesus. So don't bother him anymore. Send word. She's already gone. Hearing this, Jesus turned and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James and the child's father and mother. There were already crowds. The book of Mark tells us about the crowds that were there, wailing and weeping. The Jews did not hold back when someone died. They cried out, and they mourned. And there, were, there was a, a, a huge scene of just discouragement and despair at this home when Jesus arrived. And he knew that this was too delicate a moment to allow that crowd into the house. And so he He kept everyone out, but he invited three of his disciples in. And they were Peter, James, and John, as well as the child's father and mother. He was going to let them witness his power firsthand. Verse 52 Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I had a question as I was going through this this week. Why in the world does Jesus say she is not dead but asleep? Why would he issue that decree? What, what is important about that statement? Well, first of all, I think that Jesus understands that death is not final. You know, we, we, we worry about death. We, we've shut down the, an entire economy over the prospect that we got to keep people from dying. And rightly so, that we should value life. But Jesus had a perspective that we need to share that knowing that Grandma Lou that passed, she is now with Jesus in heaven, death is not final. Number two, death is not to be feared. You see, Jesus didn't want people to to fear death. Jesus recognized that just like we sleep each night, it's a passage from one day to another day. We go to sleep. None of us usually are afraid to go to sleep. It's not something that we fear. As a matter of fact, I look forward to it after a long day of dealing with kids. But God, Jesus knew that, that, that death is not something that is final and it's not something to be feared. And finally, death does not fall outside of God's control. You see, we think that all of this stuff is random, that this virus could hit anyone, and we've got to be very careful, and yes, we need to walk in wisdom. Yes, we need to listen to the medical experts. But we don't need to walk in fear. We need to recognize God's in control. If you're going to die, you're going to die. God says that every one of your days is numbered. He already numbered them before time began. So there's nothing you can do to add even one day to your life. And there's not one thing you can do to to take one away. God already knows the number of your days, and he's in control. Jesus recognized this reality. And so he said, she's not dead, she's asleep. Sleep is a passage from one place to another, and that's really what Jesus understood about death. That it's a passage from one life to an eternal life. And that eternal life can either be with him in heaven, or it can be separated from him in a place that is referred to as hell. Jesus knew the reality of death. And that's why he said what he said. But the crowds didn't see that. The crowds didn't understand that. And so they laughed at him and they mocked him about his statement. What do we learn from this situation about Jesus? How does he come into more focus through this story? Number one, I believe that he cares and he's calling us to believe. He cares for us, and he's calling us to have faith. You remember Jairus, he said, don't be afraid, but believe, have faith. Don't fear, don't doubt, trust in me. And Jairus did that, and he walked into that room with Jesus, walking past the skeptics and the critics, and he said, no, I'm going to keep my faith in the one who has control the one whose power can overcome even death. Number two, he controls every circumstance that we face. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's in control of your circumstances even now? That he is in control? That he is taking good care of each one of us despite the circumstances that we face? But you're like, wait a second, I've lost my job. He's in control. He's got you. He's going to take care of you. I can't see my loved ones. He's going to take care of you. He's in control. Number three, we learn that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You realize that Jesus earlier had already raised a son, and now he is here, and he's about to raise a daughter. Her spirit returned. You see, death is the separation of the body and the spirit. It's true that her spirit had departed. And we know that that means that she was clinically, medically deceased. And yet Jesus said, it's not final. And he commanded her spirit and it returned into her body. And she got up and she ate. You see, resurrection is a picture of the way Jesus Christ saves lost sinners, and raises them from spiritual death to life. The Gospels record three such resurrections for us to consider, though Jesus probably performed more than what what were recorded. In each instance, the person raised to life gave evidence of life. The widow's son, earlier in Luke chapter 7, began to speak Jairus' daughter walked in this story here. She got up and walked and she ate food. And Lazarus, he was loose from his grave clothes. What a lost sinner, when a lost sinner is raised from the dead, you can tell that someone has come to spiritual life through their speech, through their walk, through their appetite, and through their change of clothes. Amen. If you want to know if you have a relationship with Jesus, just look at the evidence. How is your speech? How is your walk? Are you pursuing Jesus each and every day? What's your appetites? What are you consuming? What are you turning on to the TV, to the radio, to the things that you're allowing into your life? Are you feeding on the Word of God and the truth of what He has given us? And are you wearing the clothes of a child of God. I encourage you to consider where you stand with Jesus today. Respond to Jesus today. As we respond, I'm going to invite the worship team on the stage this morning, and we're going to have a chance to respond and worship in just a few minutes. But how should we respond to the message of this word this morning? Number one, I believe that each and every one of us should take the example of Jairus and this woman to heart. And we should place ourselves at the feet of Jesus in worship. My question to you is, have you bowed your life at the feet of Jesus? Have you given him your heart? Is your life surrendered to him? Is he your master, your Lord, your Savior? If he isn't, today can be the day. All you have to do is open your heart in prayer to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I'm in need of help and rescue. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Save me and rescue me from my sins. Jesus responds to faith by delivering you from your sin and delivering you to a future of heaven forever, eternity forever. Grandma Lou, if she could be here this morning, she would tell you to put your faith in Jesus. She currently, right now, this moment, absent from the body, she's present with the Lord. She's enjoying heaven. She's seeing the streets of gold. She's celebrating with the angels. There's no more isolation. There's no more coronavirus. She is with Jesus in his presence. And she wants you to be too. I do as well. And there's a whole host of prayer team that would love to pray with you. If you've made that decision, please let someone know through our website. There's a a tab that's prayer requests. Just put on there that you've responded by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Number two, how should we respond? Believe in His control. Quit quit worrying. Quit, Quit freaking out about what's happening in your world. Yes, walk in wisdom, but walk in faith. God's got you. Nothing's going to touch you that He doesn't want to touch you. You don't have to worry. And if it is your time to go, it's going to be your time to go. But let us not cower in fear. As the people of God, let us stand in faith. And let us be a testimony to others that God is in control. And finally, bring others good news. You know, we still have an opportunity. This is the Holy Week of Christianity. Today is Palm Sunday. Good Friday is right around the corner, and then we celebrate Resurrection Sunday on Easter. Let us bring others the good news of what Jesus has done. If there's ever a time where people need to hear good news, it's right now. And we have the opportunity, not just the opportunity, the obligation as the people of God to bring others good news. Amen? I want to close this morning that if you've responded to any of this this morning, if God's spoken to your heart, if God's touched you in any way, please let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We want to come alongside you. We're excited to hear how God has worked. We don't want you to be isolated this week. We want you to be able to be in community. So it starts with sharing what God is doing in your life. You can go to our webpage, you can submit that there, and someone will reach out to you, pray with you, encourage you in your decision this morning. Maybe you have needs in your life. Don't forget there's a tab as well that if you have a physical need, you have some some other need in your life that you're struggling with, the church stands ready. The people of God stand ready to help. We need to know about it. Just like this woman was willing to be bold enough to share with the crowd and Jesus what her need was, you as well need to reach out and share your need and, and allow God to work to meet that need. In just a few moments, Sam and our worship team will be leading us as we remember the sacrifice of our Savior through communion. Wherever you're gathered today, if you have bread and juice you've prepared or you're just about to prepare, now's the time to start, get that ready, to pass that out to people in your home. And Sam, in just a few minutes, like I said, in the worship team, will, will lead us in remembering Jesus's death and celebrating the fact that he has overcome death in his resurrection. If you remember from today's passage from all his disciples, Jesus only took Peter, James, and John in with him. I've I've always thought that was interesting because there's several places in the Gospels where he does that. He just grabs three guys, and they're always the same three guys, Peter, James, and John. This was the first of three times recorded in the Gospels where he did such a thing. The second was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You can find that in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and following. And the third was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before his arrest, where he was going to be put on trial and ultimately declared guilty and crucified. It was in the Garden that he separated out these three disciples. Each of these events has something to do with Jesus' death. And it seems to be teaching these three disciples some very valuable lessons about who he is in relation to death. In the home of Jairus, these three men learned that Jesus is victorious over death. Death cannot hold him down. Do you realize at his command, death was overcome? At his command, this girl's spirit returned to her body and death was no more. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they discovered that he would be glorified in his death. You see, he was transfigured to his spiritual, glorified body in front of these three men so that they might see that even though he was going to face death, death was not the end. And finally, in the garden, they saw that Jesus would be surrendered to death. You remember he said, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done, Father. I know it's necessary that I came to pay for the sins of those who are lost. So these three episodes, these three men had a special front row seat to discover something important about Jesus and his power over death. You see, they needed it because James, the Bible goes on to tell us, was the very first disciple to die of the 12. Acts chapter 12. John was the last to die. We know that he lived long life out on the island of Patmos, he wrote the book of Revelation. And yet he had to endure a lot of suffering and, and tribulation throughout his lifetime. And Peter's death was predicted by Jesus. You can read it in John chapter 21, verse 18 and 19. All three men needed these lessons about who Jesus was in relation to death. And we need those same lessons today. As we consider taking communion. We're remembering Jesus' death. But let us also remember who Jesus is in relation to death. That death can't hold him down. That he is a risen Savior and Lord. Let's worship him together this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word and the encouragement that it can bring us as we apply this to our own situation, to our own life today. God, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, God, I just pray that we might um, open up our hearts, open up our, our needs to you this morning and bow at your feet. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.